Hello and welcome. I'm Max Finder and this is Living 30, a podcast for people in their 30s trying to make this the best decade ever. Our 30s are a pivotal time. We spent our teens and 20s trying everything. We now have a better idea of who we are and what we want, and it's time for us to go after it. We've experienced education, both formal and informal, career success and career failure, love and heartbreak, and maybe even some births and deaths. Living 30 is devoted to gathering innovative approaches, deep insights, and lessons learned around topics like health, work, relationships, and more. Visit living30.blog and stay tuned for more interviews, articles, and to join the Living 30 community. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Living 30 podcast. I'm here with Mia Schoen. Mia, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Uh, Mia is a mosaic mural artist and instructor who works out of her studio in Tel Aviv. She graduated from the University of Michigan with a degree in fine art and design in 2009. In 2014, you moved to Israel, um, to Tel Aviv, after being here for a few months. Um, and you've been covered in numerous press publications. You say that your mission is to spread large, colorful mosaics throughout Israel, incorporating local tiles and recycled materials into your work. Um, thanks for joining, Mia, and uh, welcome to the Living 30 Podcast. Thanks, Max. So um, your mission is to do public art. Yeah. Why public art? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I don't know if you know, my grandmother's a public artist in Boston. Okay. So I grew up like really surrounded by public art and I don't even think at the time like I understood when I was a kid the influence of public art. Like I would just play on the sculptures like all the other kids. Right. And I didn't really like understand what was going on, but I think subconsciously I was sort of like understanding the influence of it. Like I was playing on it and all these other kids were playing on it. So I was really interested in it and then I don't know, when I came here to Israel, like sometimes I didn't know where to go to see art. Like I didn't know how to access it. And so I think public art is sort of art for everybody. And there's no cost and it's just there. And so I think coming to Israel and like trying to find a way I could contribute, it was kind of through public art because then I could help people find art you know, in unexpected places, like the something that I was suffering with. Right. So you scratch your own itch, you would say, with that? Definitely, yeah. So you came to Israel and then made the decision to try to be involved in public art, or this well, happened kind of before you moved here? I came to Israel not really knowing what I was going to be doing. I came here for three months just sort of like to explore, definitely artistically, and to explore myself artistically. Right. Like I felt being in an unknown place would give me an opportunity to create more and then it all started like me doing public art because there's a wall downstairs in front of my apartment that had vandalization on it like a big spray and I just was like you know what why is nobody fixing this public wall like I think in Massachusetts where I grew up if somebody had vandalized a neighborhood wall it would be fixed within a day hmm. and this vandalization lasted for two years and I kept walking out of my building 
at the time I worked in a tech company and I would see this wall and I'd be like, how come no one's fixing it? Like, why is this wall still vandalized? We live in such a nice neighborhood. And then eventually I was sort of like, I'm just gonna like fix this. The wall covered trash. So I felt like no one would be upset. Like you can't, that's already an ugly thing. So like to make it a little bit better by mosaicing over the vandalization would just like improve the wall. Right. And I think because of my grandma that she's a public artist, I was kind of like, oh yeah, I can do this. Like I, I'll do public art. Like people will like this. Not really thinking about if I should ask permission of the neighborhood. <laughs> like I didn't even consider that. I just was sort of like, I'm just going to do this. I don't even think I would do now what I did then. In, in what sense? Like, like, like I would probably, I should ask the neighborhood before. Ah, uh, like that's an important part of public art. Is, yeah, is that's an Getting stakeholder buy-in right. from the surrounding community. Right. No one's ever going to like everything, but it's important to kind of talk to the community a little bit. And I'm learning that more and more through this process. But like just to go, I was, I'm like an unknown in Tel Aviv. I don't know my neighbors at all. And to go downstairs with my mosaic materials and start mosaicing this wall, like, I don't know what inside me really pushed me to do that. I think it was just frustration with that wall. Right. Like, I was just pissed. Right. And I couldn't understand why no one was, I really couldn't understand. So, so I mean, that's how it happened. You literally just, Kate, you like broke one day and decided, yeah. I got to mosaic this wall. How did you choose mosaic? Well, because I had already mosaiced, oh, like it how I learned how to mosaic or how I... Well, how you chose mosaic, I guess, in general as your medium, but how you first started okay. using it to when you broke, when you, you know... Broke into it? Well, yeah, when you broke <laughs> and, and did the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Broke so, into it, you know, right. pun, pun intended, I guess. I learned mosaic in, in Philadelphia, actually. And so I had studied it with a public artist there. And so it's something I kind of knew how to do, but right before I did that wall. And I, when I first came to Israel, I would teach mosaic workshops casually, like once every three months or so. So I had all the materials in my room, like in a closet. And I just, then I started working for a tech company, so I didn't use any of them. So I sort of worked in a tech company for one year and put the materials in like a closet. Right. When I left that company, I went on a solo trip to Barcelona in Ireland. And in Barcelona, there's tons of mosaics by Gaudi, and okay. they're everywhere. And it's like, it's is Gaudi like, one of the more famous mosaics? Yeah, he's an architect. Oh, architect. he's an architect. And all of his buildings are very round, and so the solution to tile the buildings was to use mosaics because you can. Mosaics are a great material to put a surface over round buildings hmm. because flat tiles wouldn't work around. You know. Cool. And so when you were walking in Barcelona, you were seeing the mosaics and it just it yeah. came alive for you? You could you connected with it? I was just like, I was really by myself and I was kind of questioning like, what's my next move? And I'm like, wow, there are mosaics everywhere here. And Tel Aviv is such a good city because the surfaces are made of cement, many surfaces. And so, and it's hot. And so in Boston, a lot of surfaces are wood. So you can't mosaic on a large wood surface because the weather will mess with the mosaic and all the pieces will pop off ah. so here it's cement and so i just like i knew when i came back from that trip that i wanted to start mosaicing in tel aviv i love that i love how everything clicks together even the material <laughs> of the city in which you're dwelling like it made sense that you were in tel aviv had been in barcelona were looking right. for a change and you knew i only can look say that now 
Uh, like at, at the, the time, it didn't connect. You no, just... at the time, and I really started, I remember, Friday at 4 o'clock because I was in the shuk in the market in Tel Aviv. And near the Aroma, the coffee shop, there was a guy painting, like, painting this piece of street art. And he was just doing it, and there were no police coming up to him. And I, oh, he was creating street art. He was creating street art right in the public, like in the most public space in Tel Aviv. And I'm like in... Right, that's pretty much, for, for those who don't know, the center of the city. The center of the city. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, this is like Friday afternoon, it's so getting late in the day, around 4, and I'm like, why isn't anybody... Like, where are the cops? Right. Why isn't anyone asking this guy if he has a permit to create this piece of art? Because I know in Boston, there, there would be cops if somebody was like doing something in such a public manner. So then I went home and I'm like, okay, if this guy can do it, I can do it. And then I later found out he's like extremely famous and he was doing a piece commissioned by Aroma. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you like... It, it was yeah, sanctioned. It was very legal. Yeah. Right. That. But that was that when you left your apartment and fixed the wall? That yeah, was like the next day. day? No, that day. That day you said, I've had it. Yeah. You got your hammer and some tiles and went out and fixed the wall across the street. Yeah. And it was like a Friday. It was in the summer, so it wasn't. It didn't get dark till around 8. So I'm like, I got four hours. Well, that's unbelievable. So I just got my tub of like stuff and I went downstairs. I was unemployed at the time. I had left my job and nice. I was just like on a stool and started to do it. Wow. And yeah. how long did that project take? That took like three weeks. It was really, really hot. Right. And so, but I mean, that was so much fun. And friends would stop by and like, we would eat slices of watermelon and there would be like beers and everybody was just kind of working on the wall. Wow. Yeah. And also it, like, I met my entire neighborhood and they were like, what are you doing? And then they, some of them joked because I thought the wall was in front of my apartment, but it actually was connected to the apartment next door. So those guys were like, thank you so much for fixing our wall. And I'm like, in my head, like, I didn't even know it was your wall. Right. Yeah. And so the, from there, Mosaic, Mosaic with Mia was born, pretty much. I mean, your journey into, the, into becoming a Mosaic artist began. Yeah. And also, like, I saw a positive response in Israel because there's a market, there's an art market across the street, like an online marketplace, and they wrote an article about what I was doing. And then they sent it to 16,000 people. Oh, wow. So I just also saw like the effect, like all of the neighbors and I met everyone on my street. They invited me over for the high holidays. This was like in, in the summer. So September was coming up. So I like went to their homes and they would leave broken ceramic on the top of the wall. For you? For me, yeah. Wow. And so it just sort of changed my experience. Like I, I guess it made me call like my neighborhood home. Mm -hmm. That, it made you call your neighborhood home? That piece, yeah. And so, see, I think that that's amazing. It's amazing how these things come together. And so at the moment, you didn't realize that this, that everything was kind of piecing together and that it was sort Literally. of, it was changing and piecing together. Yeah, yeah. there's going to be a lot of mosaic farms. <laughs> but at the moment, you didn't realize that everything was coming together like that. It's only in hindsight that, that you can look at it like that. I really didn't think, I really didn't think of the influence of my my grandma at the time like you you did I did not, you did not. like there's no way I, if I didn't have her as an, a female example let's say because that's important sometimes but like this example that I could make public art I don't think I would have thought to do it like while I don't think I would have thought oh let me put a piece outside just wouldn't have made sense like I think because I grew up with her making art outdoors that I thought oh I'll make it outside right 
but yeah, I don't think I would have connected the dots with the, there's so many other elements also that have like contributed to public art for me. And so, but deep down, I mean, you're how old, you're in 32. Your, you're 32. So how do you know, like, this is your mission right now. This yeah. is your contribution. Yeah. How do you know? Like, I know that's a tough question kind of, but, but how do you, you know, the, the origin story is incredible, but I guess the question is how, how deep inside do you, do, do you know that this is your contribution and your mission? It sounds like it. It's obvious. Great question. I mean, I think how I know to keep going is how I would put it, right. like to not stop. Because it's hard to say that this is my like large mission in my life. Well, what, the thing that I would say about that is that from the outside, it's like with everything, it looks like it happened overnight and you're just this mosaic artist that you have the great origin story, the grandmother influence, da da da. But then, you know, it, it sort of was this day, I, I imagine like anything, a day at a time thing that you had to con continue to kind of push at and make it your, your mission. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. No, it hasn't. It didn't happen overnight at right. all. <laughs> and also, in Bo I lived in Boston as an adult post-college for five years doing other things. So, I mean, it's been very, very gradual. And in Tel Aviv, I worked in an art gallery. I worked in like all sorts of different places. So it's very gradual. But I think what motivates me to keep going and why I feel it's important for me to continue is because I walk around the city and I see blank walls and I still get excited. Like I'm like, wow, what can I do with that wall? And so like I'm constantly stimulated by these like blank walls and maybe text I could put on them or ideas. And so I just like feel like I'm, I just wanna keep going with it. Like yeah. I have a lot of ideas in my mind of walls I wanna do or messages I wanna put out in the world. Yeah, and do you, so, are you proactive about going after those walls? Yeah, like those are your those are your white whales, yeah. more or less. Like, is there one specific very large white whale that you're like going after? Yeah, that yeah. I'm eyeing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I see, there's a wall right near Dizengoff Center, which is like the center of town, that I've been eyeing for. It's like I see it for a year and I walk by it and I'm like, oh, I got to do that wall. It nags at and you. It nags at me. And then if it nags enough, I'm like, okay. <laughs> but then it requires a lot of work to like get it going. And right. It's not just the, the mosaic design and implementation, but it's also, I guess with public art, there's so much red tape that you have to, to get through in order to even do the creative part. Right. I mean, I think the mosaic is like 30%. Right. And I've gotten in trouble. I've done like to me, stupid things, like things that I've, I've, there've been a lot of learning. Like what's a, what's a, what's a, the best story from that? I mean, this is a, a sort of a long story, but I just did a piece in Jaffa and I just, right next to Abu Hassan, which is a very well-known hummus restaurant in Tel Aviv. And so I, in Jaffa, and I just thought, I have a great idea for a wall. Like I want to put the words hummus baby exclamation point on that wall. Like for me, I'm like, that's it. Like when I get an idea like that, I'm like, that's so great. Like I figured I, it out. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, it's like it clicks for me. And I know I, I always am looking for text that applies to tourists and locals. Like I never want anyone to feel left out of the joke. I don't want to like exclude anyone from understanding my art. It's right. sort of my, that's important to me. And so I thought, oh, this homeless baby, like homeless is like, 
it's a contentious topic sometimes between Israelis and Palestinians, but also it's something we share. Right. And this, you know, so I thought, okay, let's throw that on a wall. It's going to be great. Like people will finish eating at Abu Hassan and then they'll go sit on this wall and it's another way to document their hummus experience. So I didn't, I talked to a few residents. Abu Hassan, they're in. They're so excited. Right. Like I know I met everybody there and they're really supportive. I talked to a few residents and then I started doing it and there was one couple in the building, like the wall overlaps this other building by a little bit and it was unclear who this wall belonged to. And so this one couple was like, hey, uh, we don't like this statement because we don't get along with the restaurant. Seriously. And the restaurant's causing us a lot of issues. We want the, these letters taken down and actually we want the entire mosaic taken down. Oh, God. And so at that time I was like, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it was, it was like keeping me up for days. Like I, you know, it was really rough. So, you know, and then I told Abu Hassan and Abu Hassan was like, who are these people? It didn't help that like the, the couple was Israeli, Abu Hassan is Palestinian. Right. So it was this whole... It's like a little mini Mideast conflict exactly. in, in, so, in, in a mosaic hummus. Right. Thing. And I found this like small issue and then I magnified it and right. threw it on a wall. Like right. humongous, you know, and so, and I didn't even think about it. So I really, looking back, I should have had more conversations. I mean, sometimes if you have too many conversations, everyone, Nothing you, you can't done. get anyone to agree. So then, yeah. so yeah, I was like, and you know, then Abu Hassan was like, give us their phone. We want to talk to them. But oh, the couple yeah. refused to talk to Abu Hassan and it was like this whole problem. So um, I ended up taking the letters down. Damn. Yeah. So that like, and I still made it a garden wall. And you know, but then having all those people walking by in the neighborhood being like, where's the homeless baby? And like one kid like falling on the floor, like homeless baby, like, <laughs> like they're so upset. Oh, it was up for a while. Up. Yeah. And, and, people and this were couple had it. my phone number. Like they were calling me. They're like, we told you to take this down. And you know, on the one hand, I'm like a street artist, right. I feel. But on the other hand, I'm still like, like I still care. You know, I You're don't beautifying want, the city. Yeah, like and... it's there. If it's a little bit their property, you know, yeah. even if it's like one sixteenth, it's still their property, and I don't want them every day coming outside and being like, ah, this damn wall. Right. Even though I tried to explain to them, if we make this wall nicer, everyone's going to step up their game and be more respectful of the neighborhood of the like, area. Yeah, that's makes, how, it that's makes how, it nicer. That's, that's how, how public, public art works. That's yeah. how it works. It's like that's where you start. So that was really. I mean. I was like not sleeping and calling. I even called other Tel Aviv street artists, like to together, ask for advice. To ask their advice, and they're like, "Where'd you get my phone number?" I'm like, is there like a community of Tel Aviv street artists? There is a little bit of a community, but I and I'm not really involved in that. I'm sort of so I just needed their help. Also, right. as like a someone who immigrated here, like I don't know the rules. I didn't want to go to jail or right. something. Are you like the good girl of street art? Would you say <laughs> something like that? Um. I think I don't have that, like, I don't want to violate. Like, it's not my mission. My mission is to, like, fix, in a sense, like, to, to improve. And so I don't get some high off of, like, doing sneaky street art. Right. That's not, but, I mean, I, I like that. Like, I like, like. There is a badass there, element to yeah, it. Yeah, so I don't really think that's my vibe. Right. But maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I've changed a little bit. But, like, my mission is to sort of be inclusive and and um, like beautify the neighborhood. Right. And so if we take a step back, yeah. I mean, you said that the mosaic part is like 30% of it. The other 70% of 
red tape and community, I guess, engagement or whatever. Is that part, I, I, I assume and maybe I'm wrong that when you're actually designing and putting the tiles on, it's like you could do that for free, right? I mean, is that how you feel about it or is it? Because it makes me happy. Because it makes you happy, yeah. Like, well, you mean if I didn't, I mean, I have to make a living, so. No, but I mean, it's in in the sense that like, I don't know, you reach some kind of flow state, like oh, it's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, like I can work, I mean, at Abu Hassan, I would work nine hours straight and like I broke for hummus, obviously, for yeah. lunch, but like, I wouldn't even think about it. Like it would, the day would be done and I'd be like, what did I do? And you do? love it. And I love it. Like, and I just get really into it and it's so meditative putting piece by piece by piece. But like at the beginning, I'm like, how am I, every time, every single time I look at a wall and I'm like, how am I going to do this? Right. So that, that's my question is the other part, the other 70% that takes it to like, to get to that point Yeah. that you love, the point that you love. Yeah. Do you love the red tape aspect not, of it? Not quite. Right. Not quite. So do you, like, I guess the question is how do you keep the end in mind while doing all that annoying bullshit basically? Or, or if you, what's, what do you tell me about, you know, the, the struggle the or process. what, yeah, the process. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just need to have my eye on the prize. Like, and I also have to convince no one ever is going to say, oh, you know, what would make this better. Let's put, throw a mosaic on the wall. Like right. it's always my idea. And then I approach the customer, the client being like, Hey, what do you think if we would put this mosaic? And you know, I've gotten better at writing proposals and, and also like budgeting. Right. You know, it's really hard to like ask for money. Also, when it comes to art, people are like, yeah, do it for free. Right. So um, I just have to think of the bigger picture. Like, okay, I really want to get this done, but everything has to connect for it to work. So, you know, the budget, there needs to be a budget. The neighborhood has to okay it. I need to make a design. You know, everything needs to be okayed before it gets done. But so, I mean, I is that stuff draining like I can imagine my if it was me I would possibly procrastinate or yeah. or have trouble getting through the shit that isn't mosaicing. it is pretty draining yeah like sometimes like the other day I had been in talks with somebody about a wall and, and also a nonprofit organization and then she sent me back being like I'm sorry Mia we really want to do this we're super excited but we just don't have the budget Right. So then I could say to her, okay, let's fundraise, let's this. Like it, I always, it's always a question for me how much I want to push. Like if I really want to get it done, then I can, I'll push it really hard. Like I'll think of solutions to raising the money or, you know, I'll think about maybe a grant can fund this or, but it, yeah, it's really hard. Like sometimes if I don't feel I really want to do it, then I'll say, okay, and I'll accept. You drop projects? I'll drop projects. Yeah. yeah like there's so many projects that just sort of sometimes fall. Right. But, um, but yeah, that part is really hard. And, and is there, is there any advice you have on keeping your eye on the prize and dealing with like annoying shit that gets you to your end result? Like, do you have some kind of practice where you think about it or it's just sort of naturally in your head? I think cause I'm such a stubborn person, like in all fields of <laughs> my life. Like I think, if I really, really want to get something done, like I know it's going to work or it's going to be great or exciting for a certain community, I'm just like, okay, we have to get this done. Right. And, and it doesn't matter how. It's just like we have to. I mean, were, it matters how. But Were you always like that? Or do you think that that evolved and developed when you found your passion? 
I always have something. been like, like to work hard. Like I've in everything I've been doing, like I, I grew up, like I always had a job. Right. And I would always like, or think of my own businesses. Like I had a business called It's a Sign when I was a kid and I would just make, make signs for stuff. That's funny. But like, I, I always have worked hard. So yeah, I think also coming to Israel had like pushed me to the next level that like, if I'm here already living in this like foreign place as sort of a stranger, then like, why not really go for it right. for certain things that I think could be exciting or... Right. Or important. Like if there's a piece that I really feel is important. I'm like. And so you also teach classes here. I've personally yeah. been in one of your classes. It's fantastic. I made Thanks, a, a wonderful thing that's hanging on my wall to this day. You were a great student. Thank you. Yeah, what, remember, what makes a good student? Well, I remember you working and you were like, I don't know if I like this or not. <laughs> like the whole time you were like, I don't know. Do I like this or don't like this? And, and that's good to like question <laughs> like the whole time while you were making your piece. The process? The process, yeah. Like it's good to like go through with a new with a new medium to be like, do I even like this? But really? then power through. Yeah. So you, you were telling me you recently like worked in a jewelry factory or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just... I mean, is that, was that a new medium for you essentially? Yeah. Well, I thought I would be creating more jewelry. It was more like on the business end of... Okay. Yeah. But I, it still was like a learning experience. Right. This woman had a really successful Etsy business. So then it made me like question myself like, okay, maybe I can sell more things online and she's successful and how's she running a team? So that was good learning. Right. Um, but you didn't yeah. learn much about jewelry. Maybe. I didn't do, learn do you it. do continuing education to expand beyond mosaics sometimes? That, mm. or, or no? Well, yeah. I mean, I should be doing more. Like I look at, I look at someone like you in my class, and I see you learning something and being challenged by it, and then I think, wow, I want that same feeling for myself. Like, right. what can I do to challenge myself? And I don't think I've given myself enough time to like do that like I would love to take like I was thinking okay Mia take a karate class or something I should take a, a class that just, just to feel the feeling of challenge yeah like I love sitting in my workshop watching students learn something new and most people are coming to mosaic most people who come to my workshops have never mosaic before so then I think like good for them for putting themselves in this like uncomfortable new place to learn a new skill right. like that takes a certain person to do that so when I see them be successful with their piece of art, then I think, okay, I should do that again with myself. It's been a while since I've thrown myself into something completely new. But it's important. It's so important. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I've tried, I mean, I try things, but I think, you know, for, I would love to learn, I mean, anything. anything. Yeah, yeah, I love to learn. So um, the jewelry factory was really interesting. Um, I didn't make as much jewelry as I thought, but <laughs> I liked watching the way a factory functions. Right. Yeah. And so is teaching something that you do mostly to pay, you know, help pay the bills or, or is it something, you know, is there a deeper meaning there? Or? Um, it's part of it is that it like funds my business. Right. Um, but I really like to teach. Like I like the feeling of being in a workshop and teaching people a new skill. Um, in Boston, my family has some, a place called the paint bar where we teach people to paint. We also have a bar. My <laughs> mom and sister started it. And so I used to teach people to paint all the time, like sometimes, you know, 40 to 60 people at a time. So like it's always it's exciting to see people, you know, making art, especially. So I like I mean, 
that's like a, I think most of the work at this point is the public pieces and that's sort of my main goal, but I, I like to teach the workshops also. Like I wouldn't want them to ever go away. Right. Um, cool. And so do you think that, is there a time of day that you are most creative? I mean, is that is there something like do you get up and sketch ideas for like let's say I guess I'm interested in if you have a blank wall and let's say you get through all of the bureaucratic crap yeah how do you create what you want to see onto that wall like what's yeah. the process the first process is so I've been working a lot in text with text recently that's I haven't always done that I used to do more like abstract designs I like text because you can put like something funny on a wall I'm, I don't think, I'm kind of a quieter person, but like sometimes I have these ideas of things I want to say, but sometimes I'm like, no, no, no. But if I can put it on a wall, then I can like say it and then be like, I'm out of here, you know? <laughs> so I think I have like a lot of ideas of text and like sayings that I think would be cool on a wall. So I list those and then I find the walls and my first step is, okay, which text do I want to put on them? And that's how I start. So you build out from the text. Generally, if it's like a commission piece and there is no text, then I do a lot of research. Like I just finished this Tunisian restaurant. I didn't know anything about Tunisia before starting this piece. But you included that in the, yeah. in the, in the piece. I've I seen think, it. It's beautiful. We'll, we'll link to some pictures, I think, in, in some of the show notes. Cool. But um, yeah, like I did all this research. I asked my Tunisian friend, like, what are, what are symbols or what kind of things should I incorporate in this wall? She said to look at these two popular Tunisian doors. So that's what I did. I read all the, about all these Tunisian doors, and then I looked at the colors, and that's kind of how I started design. Um, so it, it really depends from project to project. But the public pieces in the city generally start from the text that I think is like, oh, this will be funny on the, on the wall. Right. And is there any specific sort of process or routines or habits that you have around this creation thing? Yeah. Um, well, I like to start early in the morning. What time? Like if I'm going to do a work in the public piece, I'll start at like six in the morning because you're dealing with the public. So I can't get a lot done sometimes when I when people are walking by all the time, even though that's a nice part of it. You can oh, engage. You mean when you're physically put doing the tiles? Yeah. Do you mean like in the design process? Uh, with anything, I guess. But Well, yeah. First, in my own work process, I like to work with, late at night. Uh -huh. I've always been that way. Like I, I like hit my flow zone at like 11 p.m. Seriously? Yeah. And how late can it go? It can go like without me stopping until like three or four. And so, do you drink coffee to keep yourself up till then or no? No, I just like like to work at night. Yeah. And that's kind of problematic. <laughs> right, well, if you're gonna yeah. start at six o'clock yeah. in the morning. Well, like if I'm gonna start, like it's not the actual piece. It's like if I'm at home or if I'm making something or if I'm designing on my computer for what I want the wall to look at, I can work at night. But when I'm actually hands on the wall, I have like a 6 a.m. start right. because that's when it's quiet and so I can get everything get everything up and then no one will, will walk by. So you'll shift from like periods of time where you're staying up until 4 o'clock in the morning creating and getting into flow states or whatever and yeah. then other periods of time where you're getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. When to, I'm installing the piece, it has to be early also because of the weather. Your life completely shifts. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But that's a problem because then it's like I should go to bed earlier when I'm starting the piece, but because I like to stay up late, right. that I'm like, I just don't sleep enough. Yeah. But that's, that's I'm trying to change that actually. Like yeah. I'm trying to go to bed earlier and um, yeah. 
<laughs> I think what's interesting about all you've said is a lot of like it's 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 interesting to me how much of your art requires other skills that you've sort of taken from other parts of your life, I guess, like grant writing and other things like that. I yeah. mean, it's all sort of this, in the last 32 years, you've built up this ability to create public art and it requires multiple different disciplines. Yeah, I think, I mean... I Is think that all know. artists need that kind of stuff in your I th- head? I think so. Like, I think every, well, I think all professionals, everything that you've done in the past contributes to what you do in the future. And it doesn't matter. So I don't, I don't remember who said this to me, but like, Nothing's ever wasted what you do. Mm. No project, no perf- no job. Because I've done some weird jobs, but like you never know when it will come back and contribute to your next thing. So, I mean, in my case, like I used to work in pediatric hospitals doing art with patients. So I, you know, flash forward, you know, seven, eight years, and then I'm at Save a Child's Heart, which is a a place for kids from developing countries with like cardiovascular problems and you know I'm doing a piece with them so it's like the same kids that were in the hospital right. and then I'm like flash forward and and I know how to do art with them because I did it in my past so it's like I don't know I don't think that is all I mean it just you just never know when those skills are going to pop up again right so yeah like I mean I've learned I remember I used to make all these mistakes in the hospital I'd be like with my language like I would always see patients and I would ask their parents like oh are you their grandma and they're like I'm their sister like I always would screw up with ha- my language in the hospital and that was a big lesson so now when I in work, an Israeli hospital no in an American, in an American hospital. hospital and then I, now when I meet people and I'm like in public doing art I never make assumptions about how people know each other I don't yeah. know that's a big thing for right. me like oh you can is that piss your... off the stakeholders right yeah right like off I don't that. yeah try not so you know you're in the public so much so you have, I always have to be like sensitive to what I say but Right. Yeah. And so I want to ask a question because I think I think you're one of the first artists, like true artists that I've had on the show so far. It's a tough thing, right? I mean, you're paying the bills with teaching, you're doing commissioned art. Have you been broke? Like, you know, how do you combat this? And we talked a little bit before we press record, we talked a little bit about this, but like this idea of being an artist and, and pursuing your passion, even though people maybe don't believe in that kind of thing, or I don't know, I mean, yeah. let's um, kick that off. Right, like the the idea of the, um, what's the, the artist, who the, the broke artist, or there's a Whatever, word. yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have been broke before. Yeah. Like, there have been times, you know, when I, have you questioned your chosen yes. path? I mean, I, I was in this pattern where I would question it every like nine months, you know, like I would take these, I would get scared to pursue art seriously. And then I would take a jo- another job because I'd be like, oh, I can't do this. Like that's how, you know, I have worked in different like organizations because I'm like, I get scared. Then I work at the job for like close to a year. And then I'm like, I can't work at that job anymore. You get miserable. To return to my art. Right. So, um, yeah, there have definitely been times where I've been like worried about making enough money, um, and I've taken like weird jobs, like you know, I'll, like help a friend with their startup or translating something, or I'll 
do like a two week gig in a you know jewelry factory or something. But or, it's a, but that's like to pay the bills and you keep this you keep your mission in mind. Always, I'm keeping my mission in mind. Good. So, um, yeah, like I don't think because I had all these examples. Like I mentioned, my grandma was an art is an artist. She's 91. She's still creating art. Wow. Like. It's amazing. Is that the dream for you? I mean, yeah, <laughs> totally. But also, my aunt is an artist. My great grandmother, you know, who was born in 1900, she was an artist. My, you know, my aunt is a textile designer. My other aunt is a sculptor. So, like, I've watched people make a living off making art. So, like, I just always think, okay, I can do this. But it's doable. You've seen it done. It's I've seen it done. And if anybody says, even in my family, knowing you know, a lot of people struggle with their parents saying don't be an artist, you won't be able to make enough money. Right. And it's sort of weird if my parents were to say that because I'd be like, look at Nanny, she can do it. Like, right. But yeah, it's been, it's really like I always have to, I feel like I'm working, it's an uphill climb. Right. Working a lot and I'm always trying to think of the funding. And then when I write a proposal and I present it to people, sometimes they'll be like, that's so expensive, I don't want to pay for that. And I'm like, well, you know, I've learned like that's the price, that's how much it costs to do, I mean, it's materials, it's work, and so it's hard to sort of, explain to people that art costs money and that it's valuable right so like i ran into you know like i'd be making a piece of art and everyone would be like are you volunteering right and then i'd feel weird but like nobody's asking the gardener if he's volunteering and right. we're still working for the same cause like at the same site you know he's like doing more right, you're lawn. beautifying a place yeah, we're beautifying a place and improving so a place i respect his profession and everyone seems to respect his profession but then when it comes to me like i should be volunteering Right. So, like, I don't know why I should be the one not eating <laughs> because it's art. Like, I think art is super, super valuable. So, yeah, I just need to, like, I've gotten much better at, like, being able to ask ask my price and so on. But how did, I mean, were the, how did you improve that? Because I stopped, like, I, I mean, I've asked, I've gotten a lot of help. Like, I've asked people about it, how to, how to write a good proposal. And I actually, there was one. I have a really good mentor who's um, an artist, and I asked her, like, how do you price your work? And she says it's always by size. So, like, if I'm doing a piece that's like ten feet, it's a it's an equation, like oh, like by length by width times x amount, and that's how much it is. And so then when people ask me, I said, well, I say it all depends on size. I factored in the number. And that's how I present my price. And somehow that's easier than saying like the hours I work on it. Like I'll just say it's an equation. That's the price. So you pick up a lot of things from just around. Yeah, I ask, I ask people like I get a lot of help from other artists, business people who aren't connected to art at all. Do you have like a, a, a strategy for asking them for help? Or you, you, um, it's kind of just connections that you make that you... Yeah, it's just connections that I've made and... I, always, I, I think people like to give advice, like, so I just sort of say, like, can I get your advice on something? And so if you had to give advice to, I don't know, the me of maybe five years ago or something like that, or to other artists that are, you know, questioning whether they should continue possibly through being broke or, or tough circumstances or whatever, yeah. like how, I mean, should all artists continue, do you think? <laughs> or it depends on a level. Is there like a? I mean, you really need to be motivated. It's a lot motivated. about your personality because you have to also be comfortable with like a lot of rejection and failure. And did you were you always comfortable with a lot of rejection? Mm, I didn't get. 
like I only started getting rejected rejected when I really started putting myself out there. So like I used to not get rejected. These days I get rejected all the time because I'm putting myself out there more. So it's like I'm into it now. Now I'm just like, you know, whatever. Like it's par I, for the course. Getting it's almost rejected. like when I get rejected, I'm like, well, at least somebody read what I was doing. Right. That's how I feel. Like That's interesting. If I put an application in for something, like I know one person read it or two, and I'm like, well. Okay, at least it was seen. So that's how I look at rejection. Is it something that you sort of were afraid to put yourself out there and then you did one, you tried it one time and it got rejected and, and it was sore a little bit, but it's like a muscle that's sore and then you, you keep working and get rejected three more times and it's like the muscle gets stronger and stronger. Like, is that how it kind of worked out for you? Yeah, well, the first. My first biggest mistake was I applied for a grant and like I really thought I was going to get it. Like I was sure of it and it was a big one. And I had like spoken to the organization on the phone and everything. So I was kind of relying on it. And then I didn't get it. And I was like, oh no. Like it I had no, you? no backup. It was like a $10,000 grant. And I was like, okay, next month I'm going to get the grant. I get a letter in the mail that I didn't get it. And I was like, oh no. But then I realized that was like at the beginning of me creating art seriously. And so I was like, you know, I really, maybe I didn't show them enough proof that this would be like successful in the project I proposed. So then I went out and I was like, I got to do something really big. And so I did like one of the, with the help of one of my friends, Jen, like we did this huge wall that said, I love you so much because I felt like I needed to do something and, and then like, prove its success so I did that big wall for free I didn't even get paid threw everything I had into it like stuff around my house I just did it and then I could go and then I could like track that people were interacting with it and then show that to how did you track because on social media you can like geotag right find where your my pieces are and I can look the location and see people posing in front of them or looking at them sometimes I go sit in front of the wall just like quietly and watch to see how people engage with the piece so then I could go back to the grant and be like, hey, look at this. Like, look at the way people are interacting with it. But um, See, that's a good strategy. I mean, how would yeah. you distill that necessarily? In, in others? In, well, distill that to advise to other people. Yeah, and, I mean, I would just, I think like it's so important to just be persistent. I would tell our other artists, like, you just have to keep going and you have to make also a lot of bad stuff. Like I do, I've had pieces that I'm embarrassed by. But you, may, you have to make a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, like some days... We were talking about this before, like, I just need to come into the studio and, like, like I just feel this urge. I just need to make stuff. So, like, sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's good. But, like, you just need to keep making things. You can't just make things sometimes to be, like, a, a, a productive artist. You have to just keep making stuff all the time. Some of it's going to really suck. Right. So, it's, it's, like, yeah. I mean, and advice, like, in terms of the business side of art, I just, I guess, like I always send to new artists. I show them my proposals and how I, how I structure it. Because sometimes it's just hard to like learn about that, the administrative side. So I share a lot of, I share a lot of my, like whatever I've learned pretty openly. If people ask, hmm. yeah. Happy okay. To well, do that. we'll we'll put your info in there and maybe yeah. get some, some people asking. Yeah. Um, and so, in if if you can think about like when you're 40 or something like that or in 10 years from now, 8 to 10 years from now, I mean, yeah. what is the ideal place just continuing to do, you know, bigger and bigger? Like, are you trying to get them bigger and bigger or more and more? Or 
I mean, what's the ideal scenario for me uh, as a... My future me, as yeah. An, oh, yeah, as an artist. If I were to redo this interview in 10 years, living, <laughs> living 40. Yeah. Um, I'm not... Like, what are you striving for for the next decade? What am I for? Yeah. That's good. I mean, I think I'm, I'm striving for impactful work. So, like, I don't have visions of myself being this, like, big-time artist, like, you know... I, I just want to work with like good organizations and do more work with like with communities and um, and also produce like personal work too. I want to return to painting. I'm a painter. That's what I studied actually, portrait painting. So I'd like to go back to that and um, but and 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 work internationally too. Yeah, I was gonna ask. I mean, are there other yeah. cities that you're, you you would want to do this in? Yes. Are there cities that don't have the mosaics? like Barcelona, but could another Tel Aviv that's sort of ripe for this? I'm not really sure. Like, I haven't explored enough. Like, I I mean... It's warm cities with cement. <laughs> yeah, it has to have cement. Yeah. And it has to be a city that isn't, like, that's up and coming in a sense. So I can... It's so hard to get permits to do public art. Like, right. and I And I've seen it. Like, I've seen people in really established cities doing it. It is so challenging. So it would have to be like in a city that's kind of newer or doing, it's more of an underground scene with the art. So I think that's why Tel Aviv is a good fit. But yeah, I would be open to going like, I mean, I would go anywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, is it, do you think that you can create a movement? Like is mo mosaics your medium or is mosaic the best thing to sort of, I guess, adapt public spaces and turn them into art. Yeah. I like... Like, mo like your grandmother is a sculptor. She's a bronze sculptor. She's a bronze sculptor. That yeah. sort of takes up... I mean, this is my perception. That takes up a lot of space, whereas a mosaic sort of is on an existing structure already. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, I kind of fell into... it. I'm always nervous like about doing the work outside of Tel Aviv because I started doing mosaics in Tel Aviv. Right. But I think I can do it internationally like I think I would like to do more I think mosaics are a great medium because they're very very durable and you can use recycled materials so it's like you can throw anything into a mosaic so I like that like right. they're they can be very personal like for you know like you can people have come to my workshop and use their great-grandmother's plates or you know I've used family items of people who no longer are living and incorporated them into my pieces uh, so I, I like the act of mosaics and also like they're symbolic like our broken pieces and then we put them together and create something new so I like I like the idea of it but I definitely it's like funny because I still think of myself sometimes as a painter like I know I'm a painter that's interesting nobody you, knows I'm a painter but I do you're a painter I'm a painter. hi I'm Mia I'm a painter well like I mean it, that's how I feel in, that's how I feel inside kind of but like I also Wait, see, what is the difference I mean it, it's, yeah. <laughs> I guess to us non-artists. Yeah, there's you, a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the mo mosaics are kind of a craft in a sense, and painting is a little, is, is more fine art. I think there's a, I don't really, see, I mean, I, I like the mosaics because I like the idea that they can be outside and, you know, you're using all this stuff in them. And, but, um, yeah, like I think painting is a very quiet and like beautiful act. And I like, I, I, yeah, so. Cool. Anyway. Um, 
And so are, are there any, I, I ask a lot of people this, I mean, are there any books or, or podcasts that you listen to or anything that sort of is, is helping you along your journey? Yeah. Well, I love your podcast. Oh, thank I really you. love, I mean, I'm not just saying that. I really, really love your podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah. And you were discussing with one of your guests, like sometimes the writing's on the wall. I think it was like about someone that was in India or you were in India. I, I might have been my, yeah, my maybe two you were cents speaking about and it. You, were yeah. like, you can always like, tell when you yeah. have to leave a place or yeah. something. Yeah, and then when you said that the writing's on the wall, like also that resonated with me because I put text in the wall. Right. Anyway, so I'm, I love, I mean, I love well, it's, your... It's a cool idea about your, like there's literally writing on walls that people see from your mosaic and maybe it changes something for them. It yeah, I would them. hope so. Yeah. Um, but Just I'm, the way this wall outside of your place change your life kind of right you never know that's what i like about public art it's sort of like i make it but then i release it to the world mm -hmm. and like it's theirs now it's a little mine but it's kind of theirs but yeah but back to what i'm listening to i, I just got audible yeah so i i'm listening to a lot of uh, brene brown yeah i listen to her book i love that's um, i mean that's all about vulnerability right yeah and working with other people her new book dare to lead so it's all about like Letting, giving people the space to like feel comfortable like in conversations and brainstorming and um, she's just all about clarity when you're talking to other people and I always want to get better at that like just being clear in what I want and what I want to make and so and then I just, Is that helping you in your... Yes, it's so helpful like she just said recently like I wrote it down because it was so good she said there's being right and then there's getting it right and so like yeah, you can be right, but then, you, you know, so when you're having a conversation and someone thinks they're right and they're like, I'm right, and but it's like, no, you want to get it right. Like, you want to learn more and get it right. So, right. yeah, it's not even necessarily, and it's like in relationships and everything. It's not only about the my work, but right. so I like Brene Brown. Um, yeah, there's another book I read like almost every year, um, Big Magic, which is really great. It's by... Um, Wow. Sounds familiar. Yeah, she wrote. I can't believe Elizabeth. Um, it's okay. Okay, she wrote. Um, uh, Eat, pray, love. Oh. I forget her last name. Okay. Her uh, name's Elizabeth. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Julia Roberts. Julia, no, yeah. So um, I hope she's not listening. But oh, it's okay. Yeah. So yeah, I try. I listen to podcasts. Also, I work when I'm working all the time. Wait. So what was the book? Big Magic. I mean, what is that? Big Magic is about really about being an artist. But what she says is like you don't have to be this or that. Like you don't have to just throw yourself and say like, okay, all of a sudden I'm an artist. Like you can do other things at the same time and as you're becoming an artist. Is that, I mean, that's, that, that opens up a whole interesting thing for me, the questions of sort of identity and, and, and how you, like how you define yourself and the fantasy that you have of who you are and who you are to become. I mean, yeah. like, that you read that every year how long yeah. have you started how long have you been reading that it's been like three years I remember finishing on the beach and being like wow that was one of the best books I ever read also calling yourself an artist like that she talks about that in the book and what, which, what, what are some of the things about it like calling uh, yourself an artist like it's important to it's call yourself so important that's actually big advice that I give to new artists I'm like if you're not calling yourself an artist then why would anyone else right so, I mean, just going, it's very vulnerable to go up to someone and say, yeah, I'm an artist. And they're like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, okay, well, 
it's like I almost sometimes like I'll just go up to people what do you do I'm like I'm an artist and then if they have a problem with that I'll be like that's your issue like this is my profession right you have to own it you have to own it so that book has been really really important to me Um, so there were there times when you kind of question your identity as an artist or uh, it's like I always knew I was an artist but I would just work in other fields so so like, like when I worked in tech, for example. So five years ago, or three, three or five years ago, when people said, "What do you do?" You're like, "Well, I." Well, I'd be like, "Well, I studied art, but now I'm working in tech." It's this like whole explanation. This whole explanation, and now I'm at a point where I'm like, even if I'm sometimes like doing other stuff, you know, I'm trained designer too. You're trained designer. So like, like oh, graphic designer. Graphic design, visual design. Like I studied that in school, and I've done it. I've worked in it. Right. But I'm like. I assume that helps your. Yeah, that helps. That yeah, also contributes. Just like everything. To everything. <laughs> everything contributes. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I would always be like, no, no, no. But now I'm just I'm an artist, even if I'm doing like other work on the side. It's important to me. Right. Yeah. So you're first and foremost, I'm an artist. Yeah, and I also like when I see other people making art too. I'll be like, you're an artist. And they're like, no, I'm not. But I just I don't know. I like. Like, if you're making art, you're an artist. I don't know. That's and so, wait, what's thing. the book called? Being Magic? Big Magic. Big Magic. Yeah. And so the the general idea behind it is is what? The general, it's like, go for it. Like, like start is actually, like, the, the big thing. She's like, you don't, you know, you don't have to be extreme in anything you do, but the main goal is, like, maybe while you're, she was a waitress for a while. And so, like, that was really, you know, and then at the same time, she was writing. So, it's, like, balance, but, but you need to do it. Like, get going. Right. I so. think a lot of people, I know that I, this is, like, such a thing with me. For years, even, I feel like I wasted so much time being, you know, too, af- like, if, if, it, what, if I wasn't immediately the thing, yeah. then I didn't even try to chip away at it. And it's, you know, like, I... I, I my identity was so wrapped up in in this fantasy of who I wanted to become that I never started chipping away at it. And that's like... It's so how did you... How has that changed for you? I started chipping away at it. Yeah. I mean, you know, even just making this podcast, if you make like a shitty sounding podcast, at least you're still making it, right? Yeah. I think my favorite thing to remind myself is like start somewhere. Start somewhere. You just have to. So, I mean, like, it's with anything. It's with exercise. It's with eating right. It's with being a kind human. Like, you just have to start. So, right. yeah, I'm big on that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and I'm also, like, so impressed by other people who are doing it. Like, that's something I admire most about others. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. I think that that's our generation now is, is, is a lot of people admiring people who are going after it. And yeah. it's, like, more visible, I guess, now with... with social media and stuff like that it's cool when you said how you're able to track how your your piece influences people around it by geo tagging and stuff like that it's not i don't know if geo i don't know if that's the right word either location whatever instagram yeah that's lucky for me do you search like the the longitude latitude coordinate or how does no like if i know a piece is on the nahala benyamin street i can search nahala benyamin and you'll just people will tag the the location and i'll just look and i'll see that's not how I, I, I used to measure success more by how many, how many people were interacting with my pieces. I don't do that as much, or I try to not do that as much anymore because I'm like, oh no, no one's like taking pictures with it. But right. that's not really my mission. But um, yeah, I think that's lucky for me because a lot of people 
can't see the way their work is influencing others. Right. And so I have a real visual, and, th and that's, I think, uh, lucky about public art. So how did you start to measure success? I mean, do you do, you do that? Do you, do you periodically take stock of what you've done and, and, and try to learn from it? I mean, like, you know, this project had a certain, I guess, result and, and, and... Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I like go through phases where I kind of search. Like also when it comes to, like I did a wall that says Yala Balagan. So for listeners, that means like, let's make a mess. It's slang for like, let's go crazy. Right. And so like if I can see people taking a picture in front of that, but then also sending it out into the world as like, we're having a nice time in Israel or on our visit to Tel Aviv, like that's success to me. Like that's like, okay, this this text, we're, we're putting that message out and then people are like, what does Yala Balagan mean? And then you can teach them and then it's inter something interesting about Hebrew. I don't know, like it's hard, it's always hard to measure, measure success. So um, I, yeah, I go through phases where I look at everything. And then like if I ever have done, like I did sort of a more political piece um, that said we were all once refugees. And that was like when there was a threat of deporting refugees in Tel Aviv. There are like 38,000 refugees here in Tel Aviv um, from, or asylum seekers right. from um, Sudan and Eritrea. So like who basically they have no status and they walk here. out of everybody. There have been like 11 who have citizenship who are, or documented, not citizenship, sorry, who are just considered refugees. The rest are asylum seekers who have no status. So we collaborated during that time, I collaborated with an organization called Kuchinate, which is like a women's organization for refugees. And we made this big wall that said we were all once refugees. That was an important wall for me. And I feel like if people could stand in front of that wall with that message and put it out to their friends and family, like that's success. Or if they just see that message and they say, if they can rethink something, or if it, it's a reminder, or even makes them think about something, that's success to me. So, are you thinking of trying to get more political with your art? I mean, is that the most political, most sort of influential statement-giving thing that you've you've done? Yeah, besides the unintentional homos. Right, the homos <laughs> debacle. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be. I, I don't. Maybe I could be more political, but I mean that was. That was just like, that felt really important to me, that piece, because also coming to this country as a, like an immigrant and um, like in terms of like Israeli society empathizing with refugees, like it just hit home. Right. And well, I assume your grandparents or great grandparents or something were immigrants. Yeah. At some like, point I mean, also. we all have all of us. All yeah. of us. Yeah. So. Uh, that was important. I mean, I would do something political if I felt it was important or if it, yeah. I would, I mean, I'm, I would always be open to projects and it's a lot about collaboration. I didn't think about that. I didn't think of that phrase. This nun who works at, at Cucinate and is one of the founders, she thought of it and she was like, we're not going to use the word no, like no to deportation. She's like, we're going to put a phrase on the wall where people can empathize. Yeah, it brings people together. Yeah, and people look at it. It's funny because sometimes if I'm seeing people pose in front of it, they'll like completely misunderstand what it is. Right. So that's right. also fine by how, me. How do they misunderstand it? Like they'll just like pose like an, 
make like an Instagram post about it and like pose in front of it in like a sexy kind of way. Like, okay, whatever. Um, but Or they'll just like not understand that it was actually about refugees in, in Israel, but that like they'll think about it, that it was their own parents or, you know, post-Holocaust or, I mean, right. different, which is fine. Like, that's great. It, it's very relatable. Right. Our so. immigrant grandparents also could pose for sexy pictures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have that in common. Right. So, um, yeah, like I would, it just depends on the, the piece and the community it will affect. And yeah. I'm always open to discussing whatever. So. Um, and, you know, just in closing, I mean, if, if, if you had to tell your 20 year old, 22 year old self, whatever, something, I mean, yeah. anything that comes to mind? Mm, I think ask for help. Ask for help. Yeah. Like, I think part of me being stubborn, as I mentioned, is that as a younger person, I wasn't as comfortable asking for help. I still don't feel super comfortable with it. Well, but it but sounded like, like you do. It said a lot of, you said a lot of the, um, you know, the people's, people's budgeting and, and, and all of the sort of business help and administrative help that you've gotten. I mean, you've asked for that. Yeah, I think like I've participated in more entrepreneurial like fellowships and things where you learn that there are mentors and people who always want to help you and yeah. like they want you to succeed. And when I was younger, I also was like, well, they don't know what they're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Wait, like, you, you did this entrepreneurial fellowship. I forgot yeah. to ask you about that. You did this one, Our Generation Speaks, right? Yeah, I was on a Israeli-Palestinian fellowship where we, it was at Brandeis. and um, Outside of Boston. Outside of Boston. And we all lived together and it was like all about building businesses together and building trust. And, um, yeah. Wait, what did you learn from that? What didn't you learn from that? I learned so, I mean, that's a whole other Yeah, we can get into it. Um, I learned a lot. Like, I mean, asking that's like the whole asking for help. We had all of these mentors who really want to help us. I mean, that was a really important experience in my life. It was super, 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 super challenging. Yeah. Like, I, I have trouble asking for help, I think, because when you ask for help, you feel dumb. Like it's a vulnerability <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, but when you get older, it's you learn like, or maybe it's one of the lessons I've learned. Like, it's great to say I don't know or to be dumb. Like, well, my my problem <laughs> with it is I, I get nervous that if I ask somebody for help, that they're gonna think that I am dumb, and then, you know, if it's like an investor or somebody, you know, a mentor, whatever it is, I, I don't. I, I get nervous that they're gonna stop wanting to help me kind right. of because of the question because of the stupid thing that i'm asking for help from right well well bringing it back to brene brown she just said like she was in a room with vcs and also in a room with entrepreneurs and she asked both groups like you know if you were really struggling and you didn't know if you could run your business or raise money like how many of you would you know, go to your mentors or your investors and ask them what to do or would want to ask them. And all the entrepreneurs like hesitantly raised their hands like, uh, and all the VCs were like, we would want someone right, to ask us for help. The VCs want them to, to ask for help. Yeah. They invested in them. Right. If there's a problem, they want, that's what they're there for. That's what they're there for. So, um, so I mean, some of the smartest people that I've ever heard speak are, I love when like really, really smart people say, I don't know. 
Like it just empowers me to like, it gives you more credibility when you do know things. Right. So answering with, well, I don't know, <laughs> is like an empowering thing. Right. So, um, I mean, that was in the, in the fellowship. Like we were a group of 27 of us, half were Israeli, half were Palestinian. And then here I was coming in as an Israeli, but I'm also American. I'm also from Boston. And it was a tech, sort of a tech-focused uh, fellowship, and I'm an artist. Right. So, like, everything was like, what? I think they put me there as the disruptor. Like, right. I was, like, the disruptor of the group. And so there were many times where I just had to be comfortable being like, well, I don't really know your experience. But by saying I don't know, it means tell me more. So... So that's what the, that's the primary thing you learned was in the fellowship. Yeah. yeah, it's like I came back from that fellowship thinking, like questioning everything. It was like it made me have so many more questions. I don't think I got any answers, but um, yeah, I mean, Israeli and Palestinians, like we, it's it's really hard on the grounds out here to work together. Like it's an effort in Boston. It's very know, it's, easy. It's easy to like collaborate and you know so on, but then when you get back here, there are a lot of challenges. But uh, but I think like when I think of the fellowship and how much it challenged me in a good way, I feel like a piece of fabric that was stretched so much it almost ripped, but not quite. Like I didn't rip, but um, it was really challenging and interesting. Yeah. And I learned so much like about myself and about Palestinians and also Israelis. Like it's all new. I've, I've only been living here five years, so. Right, there's a lot of learning It just like too. deepened my connection to my place, so. I think we'll link to that sure. program in the, in the show notes as well, because it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing program. Yeah. Yeah, really hard. <laughs> yeah, well yeah. you survived and now you're back here creating yeah. art. And yeah, but you know, hard things are hard. Hard things are hard. Yeah, so yeah. that's good. Ask for help. Ask for help. Cool. Yeah. But. Um, anything else you want to share before we? Uh... Yeah, it, I think I think I'm good. You think you covered it? Yeah. Okay. You have any more well, questions? No, I mean this was a pretty good first pass. I mean, I'm sure we'll have you on again. Sure, I'd love it. As your art develops, and we'll we'll link to. I'm I'm gonna try to I think include a bunch of pictures of some of your more prominent stuff, including the 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 refugee one, and so. Hopefully, we're trying to rebuild that. It's it's being currently in the process of being torn down, which we always knew. That's the reason we were able to do it on such a public wall, it, that we always knew the building was going to be torn down. So it's being torn down, but we're in the process of. I just wrote a proposal to get it rebuilt. Okay. So that's something I'm not going to give up on that project. I'm really I know what the end goal is there. So it'd be cool that'll to get done. Do Do you think just before we go? Do you think about? Um, it might be like, but technology like blockchain and how other things that in, involve community and sort of um, crowd, not crowd funding, but crowd crowdsource decision making. This is like a big topic in the blockchain sphere. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, it's interesting for me to think about how something like public art could involve stakeholders using technology and have people kind of vote and decide and, and, and think about you know what they want in their public space and how to be how together to come to how to come together and beautify it or something like that yeah. I wonder I wonder if you have more people make thinking about it if it makes your job more difficult if you have more people kind of voting and and, and, and getting involved I think I think the it more people only the better. Make it better yeah as long as everybody can understand the power and importance of it like that as long as people are engaged, like 
it doesn't help when people are involved to dismiss public art. Like you want the people are the ones who say yes to public art to be involved because people who are excited about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would love that. It, I think like I'm always trying to connect as much as I can in the community. I mean, right, I, it seems like a major part of it. Huge part of it, and also like you can see what results if you don't. <laughs> like right. in my own experience, right. so that's really important. So yeah, I would love like as technology develops, like it's really it's really um, influencing my practice. Like even now, I use I work with a laser cutter. You know, I didn't do that a few years ago, but now I can get pieces cut out of um, plastic for me to put into the mosaics or tile, like by a machine. Like, wow. So that's pretty cool. So anything like crowdsourcing, blockchain, I don't know much about it, but I would be always open to learning and cool. collaborating. Well, hopefully so. this will maybe get you some collaborators. Sure. Um, get in touch with Mia at mosaicwithmia, M-I-A dot com, mosaicwithmia.com. Um, is there a place on social media that you like to be found typically? Is, is uh, I'm really into Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Mosaic with Mia. Mosaic with Mia. So I try and put update that regularly. I need I should be doing even more, but I'm trying like I'm trying to um, put the pictures of the process. Like I want to include everyone yeah. in my process. So yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's great. So Mosaic with Mia, at Mosaic with Mia, mosaicwithmia.com. Um, you can also join one of her amazing Mosaic workshops at her studio twice a month and, and upon request. Mia, thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Max. This was great. Um, so visit living30.blog for more interviews and more posts. And thank you, everyone, for joining. Have a good day. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Make sure to get in touch at living30.blog. Let's make this an unbelievable decade. Until next time, I'm Max Finder, and this is Living 30.